Do you ever get freaked out when you suddenly catch a glimpse of yourself in a mirror and you weren't expecting to? Or are you the kind of person who has to put the light on in the bathroom before you even walk into the room? Let's find out in this episode why so many people are freaked out by reflections. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Sedgwick, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. We're into July. I hope that this month is treating you better than last month. And obviously, if last month was great, awesome. If it wasn't, well, hopefully it'll be better. We are continuing with our folklore of intangible things after we did mirrors last week. And I did promise you that we'll be looking at reflections this week. So that is indeed what we are looking at and why they're so important in Western folklore. I was debating with the idea of adding a few examples from films and I've literally ended up just going with one because I think if I started to have a look at reflections in haunted house films, we could be here all day. And I respect your time, so we're going to try and keep it to the normal length of episode. And I'm not going to go off on a complete tangent about mirrors in horror films because that could take some time. Now, as we discussed last week, mirrors do form a huge part of popular culture. And obviously you can't really have a mirror without a reflection. And if you do, therein the weirdness lies. So we are going to have a look at things along those lines. So we're not going to cover things like scrying and stuff like that, because that was all in last week's episode. So if you didn't have a listen to that, give that a listen and then come back to this one. So instead, we're going to be looking at actual reflections. So bearing in mind where reflections are concerned is... You could be looking at something in water. You could be looking at something in really highly polished metal, anything like that. Or it could just even be bog standard glass. I mean, where I'm sitting right now, I'm facing, we've got like a cabinet thing, which has glass doors. So I'm weirdly able to see my reflection while I'm podcasting. And it's not a mirror, it's just glass. So do bear in mind in this episode that anywhere that we're talking about reflections, I don't necessarily strictly mean mirrors, although some of these superstitions So I hope that's cleared that one up. Now we're going to start off with some nice reflections, I think, because there is quite a lot of tendency to think about the seven years bad luck if you break a mirror. And yes, we are going to look into things like that. But I thought we might start off with some positive ones just to kind of mix things up a little bit. And I did find one superstition that in terms of reflections, new couples that first spot each other in a mirror should have a happy marriage. So I imagine for places like the Palace of Versailles with an entire room full of mirrors, that would have been quite a jolly place to be. And you'll no doubt have heard the old Halloween advice that on All Hallows Eve, young girls should sit in front of a mirror and they should eat an apple. And then they should, in theory, see the reflection of the man they would marry. There is an alternative version where you simply sit and brush your hair in front of the mirror. And again, you should see a reflection of whoever you would marry. And I do kind of wonder why only girls had to do that. Like, did, did men not want to find out who they might marry? Or did they have more choice in the matter and therefore it was fairly moot? Who knows? It is interesting, I think, the idea of eating an apple in front of your reflection because apples are often associated with love magic. So that one does make sense that you would connect it with romantic superstitions. Interestingly, if you do then see your intended in a mirror and you obviously have a good marriage, another way to make sure that you're going to have a good marriage 
is if newlyweds should stand in front of a mirror together after the wedding. And this then helps their souls find one another in the spirit realm so that they can be together in both planes. Quite how you then handle things. If you don't have a happy marriage, I don't know. I haven't come across anything that deals with that. But this is hopefully to give you a bit more of an auspicious beginning to things. I should, however, point out that obviously reflections aren't always amazing when it comes to love and romance because we do have to take a little brief detour into Greek mythology and have a little bit of a chat with Narcissus. His mother actually feared his death at the hands of a great love affair following a prophecy because he was supposed to be one of the most beautiful youths that was ever seen, as most characters in Greek mythology seem to be. So she'd kept him away from other women, fearing that something like this would happen. And then one day he's away with his mates, I think he's out hunting or something, and he pauses to bend over a pool to get something to drink, and he happens to catch sight of a handsome young man in the waters of this pool that he's gazing into. And not realising it was his own reflection, he fell in love with the image, and he was so unwilling to tear away his gaze that he actually wasted away as a result. This is supposed to be one reason why the daffodil, which is also the narcissus, so he gave his name to the narcissus daffodil, they usually bend their head towards water and that's one reason it's been given because they're narcissists and he did also go on to give his name to the narcissistic personality disorder. So they're one association, not so bad, the other one kind of awful. We, we do have some good luck reflections just to kind of change direction slightly there from narcissus. And if you've ever given yourself a fright by spotting movement in a mirror and then go, oh, that's all right, it's only my reflection, don't panic. Apparently it's a sign that good fortune is on the way. And some people also hang mirrors opposite their front door and this acts as a form of watchdog which reflects any evil spirits away that try to enter. And this one actually comes from ancient China where people hung brass mirrors in temples. And again, evil spirits would see their reflections as they try to enter and then they would leave. And I think that's quite interesting noting that there were brass mirrors because obviously in ancient times, mirrors would be made of any sort of polished metal material that you would find. And I think this attempt to deter evil spirits really does take us into the bulk of where reflections-based folklore actually lies, and that's around the soul. I am going to do a little bit of a detour here because... One of the reasons why reflections are so potent, and this also applies to the shadow, and I'm going to go into it a lot more when we do the shadow in a couple of weeks' time, it's about connotations around what's called the double. And there was a guy called Otto Rank who wrote about the double in folklore and anthropology in 1925, I believe it was. And it's actually quite a readable little book that you can, you can even get on Amazon, because I'm actually using part of it in my PhD. And he looks at why there are so many things around concepts of the double. And it's this idea that there's not just one version of you, there's these other versions of you. And in some cultures, you have an idea of a good version of you, and that's your reflection. And then there's a bad version of you, and that's your shadow. And more commonly, there's the idea that the reflection is actually the soul. So that's kind of your spiritual double. And that's why it reflects your true nature, which is why vampires and, and creatures like that don't have a reflection because they don't have a soul. But all this stuff around the idea of the reflection being the double means that it also then has a kind of a mind of its own. So it can, in theory, separate itself from us in some way. And that's what these ones around the soul that we're about to have a look at rely on. And it is an old custom to cover mirrors following a death to ensure that the deceased spirit didn't become trapped in one. Now, this is a Jewish custom, but I have actually seen it repeated in wider law in other places as well. 
And other people believe that the mirror should actually be covered so that the spirit doesn't get confused while it's trying to leave the house. Now, in one of these beliefs, the mirror essentially becomes a doorway to the afterlife. So it has to be covered so that the soul that's then in the afterlife can essentially leave where it is and it can go on wherever it needs to go next so that it doesn't come back to haunt the family. So by covering the mirror, it allows for that period of separation between the body and the soul and the soul can then go and do whatever it is that the soul needs to do but because you've covered the mirror it creates that period of separation whereas if you leave it uncovered the soul tries to remain with the family and it tries to remain with the body as well and obviously all of this ties back to that idea of the reflection being the soul and the mirror actually reflecting the soul not you And I have actually heard that newborns shouldn't look into a mirror until they're one year old because some people believe that the soul is still developing within that first year. And I think that this is why the mirror becomes quite dangerous around the dead because the soul of the deceased is no longer tethered to its body. So with nothing concrete on the other side of the glass, the soul can then remain stuck in the reflection. But then on the other hand, the idea that the soul might get lost in the house and then can't move on if you haven't covered all of the mirrors up is the idea that the reflections turn a person's home into this veritable house of mirrors. And the soul, because it's untethered to the body, loses its ability to navigate the physical space and then it ends up essentially stuck in your house. So in this case, you're covering all of your mirrors, whereas some of the customs, you just cover the mirrors in the deceased's bedroom because it'd be the one that they looked into most often. Or you cover the mirror in whichever the room they're actually in. Incidentally, and this is completely nothing to do with reflections, but there was always a worry that if you had a body laid out like in preparation for a wake, if a cat jumped over the coffin, it would become a vampire. That's an interesting one. But the idea that you've got this soul essentially wandering around a house untethered to the body and it's essentially gotten stuck here because it can't find its way out because of all the mirrors. And you know how mirrors redouble space and that's why so many big country houses and stately homes and things have these massive mirrors on the wall it's to make the room look bigger so if you've got a small room if you can have some kind of mirror on the wall it does make the room look bigger just because it's a it's a perspectival shift that you end up with but there is a superstition so be careful about this if you do decide to have a house full of mirrors that if you view your reflection by candlelight you don't just see yourself you'll also see all the otherwise invisible entities sharing your home if anyone does try this and does see something please, by all means, let me know. I never have, but that doesn't mean it doesn't work. But all of this stuff around reflections in the soul doesn't end there, because you know me, I like to go a little bit further. And there is a superstition that if you see your reflection in a room where someone has recently died, you will soon die yourself. And even looking into a mirror that belonged to someone who died recently was dangerous. And in both cases, their soul would essentially take you with them into the underworld, And the mirror only becomes safe for reuse after the person's burial or cremation. And I think this ties back into the earlier one, the idea that the cover in the mirror creates that period of separation so that the person can leave. And if you've buried them or cremated them again, you've created that physical separation between the body and soul and then they can move on. There is also a risk in some cultures for dreamers. So mirrors should be covered at night to prevent wandering nocturnal souls being trapped. I did have a conversation with a couple of people on Twitter about this, the fact that they don't even have mirrors in their bedroom. I only have one and it's on the inside door of my wardrobe. And I mean, why would I have that open at night? Because that would just let moths in. So it is quite funny how few people actually have mirrors in their bedrooms. 
And some people think that the belief that the mirror reflects the soul actually dates all the way back to the Roman period. And this is where you start getting the ideas around the seven years bad luck comes from. Because here, breaking a mirror would also damage your soul. And as the soul then took seven years to renew itself, the breakage caused damage for seven years. Now, biologically, there is some evidence that the human body regenerates its cells every seven years. So who's to say that the soul isn't part of that? But I don't actually believe this particular superstition because breakable mirrors aren't actually that old. So I can't help thinking that Brianna Jones is probably more on the money here because she offers an alternative that in her version it was seeing your reflection in a distorted surface that meant bad luck. So that could be the surface of a pond, it could be a lake, it could obviously be glass, which again wasn't really that widespread until like the medieval period. So it's more likely in the Roman period that it was about if you damaged whatever it was that you were looking in, be that throwing a stone into water or something along those lines. That was where that idea came from. And because she points out that the Roman belief was actually about the renewable nature of the soul, not the seven years bad luck thing, it is entirely possible that somebody took the Roman belief about a renewable soul and then took the seven years bad luck idea and then just threw the two of them together around the mirror. This is what does happen with folklore and why it's quite difficult to point to anything and definitively go, that's it, that's the true source of it, because of the fact that it does alter over time. Now, I did say that we weren't going to have a look at horror films, but I do want to add one little point, and that is around photography. Because you do have, unless you've got a mirrorless DSLR, you do have a mirror in a camera. Now, the mirror itself is not actually part of the process of taking the image. The mirror is just there to reflect the light that comes into the camera, into the viewfinder, so that you can see what it is you're taking a photo of. In a mirrorless camera, it's got an electronic version, and that's all some kind of weird alchemy, as far as I'm concerned. But so you do have a mirror in a camera, but it flips out the way when you take the actual photograph. So it doesn't actually take the image itself, but it is involved in the process, if that makes sense. And I think that it's really quite interesting that you've got this concept of spirit photography to capture the soul. And then the box that does it actually has a, a mirror in it, which should reflect the soul. And I just think that's quite an interesting sort of tie in. And the the reason why I mentioned this is actually because I was, I was thinking about The Conjuring at the time. And it's the fact that one of the ghosts in the house, Rory, you can only see him in the mirror in the lid of his music box. So the youngest child, April, effectively summons him by opening the music box and letting it play. And then you've got this gently rotating mirror with a spiral on it, which does create a somewhat suggestive state while you're looking into the mirror. And that's when you can see him. So you can only ever see his reflection. You can't see him. So it would imply this idea of spirits being trapped in mirrors rather than them just moving around or the, the only way you can see them is through the mirror rather and obviously Rory does get captured by cameras during one of his nighttime wanders around the house so he apparently can traverse the house but you can only see him if you capture his image or essentially his reflection in some way and there is quite an interesting belief as well that mirrors actually stored whatever they reflected for later use. So it's quite interesting that cameras essentially literalise this belief by preserving what mirrors are essentially looking at. And I do think that there are obviously a lot of cultures who do believe that photography is capturing the soul or part of the soul. So if mirrors reflect the soul, then I do think photographs essentially can help to preserve them. And I obviously couldn't write about reflections and not include Bloody Mary. And she is more of an urban legend, but I do think that she's part of contemporary folklore now. And I think this is the thing with folklore. It does cross over with so many other areas. You kind of have to look at urban legends as a form of modern folklore. 
And while the extent of the legends is far too numerous to explore here, the basic gist is the same. It's a dare and it requires a young person, it's nearly always a preteen or a teenager, to go into a bathroom. They've got to close the door, switch the light off, make the room as dark as possible and chant some variation of Bloody Mary while looking into the mirror. Sometimes you've got to say it a certain number of times, sometimes there's a particular thing that you need to say, but in effect, Bloody Mary should appear in the mirror. Now, Elizabeth Tucker relates a version involving a Mary Wolf or Mary Worth, but in both occasions, this particular mirror witch will scratch you if you see her. And for Tucker, this then turns Bloody Mary into a form of initiation ceremony. So you're dared to do it. You trust that the rhyme will work. You're essentially putting yourself in harm's way if it does, but then you're rewarded with a glimpse of her if you actually believe that it's going to work. There's a lot of discussion around who she actually was as well and incidentally she does appear in the paranormal activity 3 trailer and i've put the video of that on my blog and the, the link to that is in the show notes so you don't have to waste time watching the rest of the film because the best bit was essentially in the trailer but according to Kristen clark bloody mary is a soul trapped in a mirror looking to cause harm to those who invoke her she's been harmed herself and looking to bring that pain to others that's the end of the quote and over time this demonstrates basically what's at the heart of Bloody Mary, the fact that some people say that she's been trapped in a mirror, other people say that she's been imprisoned in a mirror, other people say that she's a witch, she's a spurned lover, she's a vengeful older woman, and some of the story she bursts out of mirrors to steal children, and she seemingly becomes whatever the society needs her to be at that particular moment in time. So if mirrors reflect our true nature, then what does this ultimately say about our inner Bloody Mary? That is the end of this week's episode. I should point out that because I've always had this long fascination with mirrors and the idea that there could be a world on the other side of that, that's the reverse of ours, I wrote a story called The Mirror Phase, which, yes, I did take that from the Lacanian theory, and it's in my free collection, Checkmate Tales of Speculative Fiction, which you can get, get and I do see that is free on Amazon if you want to take a look at that. I hope you enjoyed it. If you know any other superstitions about reflections, please do feel free to let me know. I'm always happy to add extra things into the blog post and so on and give credit where credit's due. So if you do have anything else, please do let me know. We will have a little bit of a break from all the stuff around the double next week and we're going to have a look at numbers in folklore. Three particular numbers, I should say, because obviously otherwise we'll be here all week. And then we'll have a look at shadows at the end of the month. So I hope that you're enjoying that. I did put out the exclusive episode for June for Patreon supporters at the $4 a month price point and that was on Bawley Rectory so I am going to be doing the one for July at some point probably later on in the month because even I'm not that well organised in advance and if you've got any requests for things we've got all kinds of stuff coming up there's going to be the folklore of musical instruments at some point I am going to do one on cursed movie stars probably around about Halloween and I am also considering adding interviews with people into this format so there'll still be these episodes but that's like 15 minutes long that are just like me talking to you about something but I am considering doing interviews with people like on top of that as well so if that is something that you'd be interested in please do tweet me instagram me whatever let me know what you think this format will absolutely stay the same it's just basically something additional much like the book reviews which I need to get back into because I've got such a backlog to record but you know I'm now off for the summer from the day job so I'm going to be blitzing me folklore stuff so there'll be a whole load of new stuff on fabulous folklore for you to enjoy so that's the end of this week's episode I hope you have a marvellous week ahead and I will see you soon cheerio Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. 
If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com, and that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images, and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead, and I'll see you soon. Cheerio!